God is over every nation. What? He's over every leader. Absolutely. The Lord is in control. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And it doesn't seem like the world's in control right now, does it? But God is here. We'll talk about that in about five minutes. It's very good from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey. I'm focusing on 2 Chronicles chapter 22 to 23. It's a disturbing tale about a legacy of hatred. Ryan? Today, my focus is on the origin of the Ammonite and the Moabite. All right, very good. They're very important people, and uh, it's interesting. We'll study that in about 20 minutes. They're coming up. Janice in about 25. Janice? They came to seek the Lord. In fact, they did. So take your Bible guide. If you don't know how to get one, stay there. We'll tell you how to get one in a moment. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, and let's open up the most important book of all. It's God speaking to us. Let's hear what he says. Second Chronicles 20, 1 through 9. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, and set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham your friend forever? And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Today we continue reading through 2 Chronicles 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. And as we focus on this, we're going to highlight one particular scripture that we look at today. Now, when you think of prayer, think about that. When you think of praying, what comes to mind? I mean, ask yourself some questions. Why do you pray? How do you pray? Well, first, it's important to remember who exactly it is we are praying to. <laughs> I mean, we, we pray to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God over everything. Well, next, we need to check our attitude. How are we approaching this God of everything? 
What we see in our reading today is that King Jehoshaphat was desperate. I mean, he knew who he was talking to. And Jehoshaphat knew that God was the only hope that the nation had. And he knew that God was over the whole earth, all the nations, rather than Israel and Judah alone. What Jehoshaphat recognized is still a universal truth. God is over all, even today. Now, this is why things change when we pray to him. When we pray, we should not be trying to get our way. We pray that God will intercede, that he will do what is right. It's not about trying to boss God around, but rather to ask him to intervene. Jehoshaphat's monumental problem can stand as a witness to us in the power of desperate prayer. Now, I said something very interesting. Jehoshaphat's major problem, monumental problem. We always seem to pray best when we have a lot of difficulty. This is a time in the world history when difficulty is everywhere. So it's a great time to pray. And we have our prayer meetings Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern Time on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV. Join us sometime and pray with us. Very, very important. Anyway, this is the Bible Guide. If you don't have one, you can write for yours. Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and you can click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Whatever God speaks to your heart is great. And then it takes you to a page where you can download it exactly how we printed it. Very interesting. The Desperate Cry, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 9. The Desperate Cry. Praying when you're desperate is so important. And Father, I pray today, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to learn how to talk to you. We always judge things based on what we've experienced. But help us to read your word and understand that you give us an attitude on how to pray. That attitude comes from the Holy Spirit. So help us to hear you today. Come into our heart, Holy Spirit. And be with us now in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Let's look at this passage carefully because this is important. Second Chronicles 20 verses 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. I mean, from Syria, and they are from Hazron, Hazan, Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat, he became afraid and he feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Jehoshaphat was seeking God. That's why you proclaim a fast. You seek God. If we truly seek God before we pray, the Lord will answer our prayers. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should fast before we pray. What I'm saying is fasting is something that God will tell you personally to do or whatever, you, however you want to fast. God will show you how to do it. But we need to pray before we read the Bible and pray before we 
and ask God in the beginning of our prayers, Lord, we seek your face. A good way to pray is our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Your will be done and your kingdom come on earth in me as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a great way to start your prayer because that puts everything in perspective. That's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, pray this way, put things in perspective first. Very interesting. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse four says, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? Do you not rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwelt in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. Now, this is important because we need to understand something. God is over every nation, whether or not they acknowledge him, that's irrelevant. He's over them. There is no army big enough anywhere in the world that can come against God and succeed. Did you get that? There's not an army big enough. Doesn't matter if the whole earth got together. Won't work because God is all powerful. Keep that in mind. As we go into this last verse, I need to tell you, pay attention here. He continues, he says, this is what you said. If disaster comes upon us, Lord, sword, judgment, and pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction. And you know what, Lord? You will hear and save. Do you understand what Jehoshaphat did? Win or lose, when we stand before God, he will take up our cause. We choose to follow God no matter what. That is the greatest prayer ever. Can you imagine if God took up everything that you said, took up everything you did, and he's on your side? You know, if there's somebody I want to be on my side, it's the almighty God. Actually, I want to be on his side. <laughs> so when I pray, I say, Lord, help me to get with you. When I read your Bible, help it to change me, not me to change or put my attitudes on it, but help it to put God's attitude on me. Father, help us today. Talk to us today. Speak to us today. We need to hear you and we need to follow you and we need to listen to you. In our desperation, this is what we pray. It's a mess, Lord. The world's a mess. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today we read 2 Chronicles chapters 20 to 24. And I'm focused specifically on chapter 20, which documents Judah's defeat of the Ammonites, the Moabites, as well as others. But just who were the Moabites and the Ammonites? Well, their origin goes all the way back to Genesis, to a man named Lot, the nephew of Abraham. As if Lot had not already sufficiently tested the grace and mercy of God by tarrying so long in Sodom prior to its destruction, he dares now to barter over real estate also. Though God in his wisdom instructs him to flee to the mountains, Lot pleads that he be allowed to escape instead to the small city of Zor. Although God graciously grants his request and even spares that city from the impending destruction, Lot later leaves that place in favor of those mountains because he was afraid to dwell in Zor. Why Lot grew fearful of living there isn't entirely clear. Maybe he realized that the city was just as morally depraved as Sodom was and thought that it too would eventually be destroyed. It's also possible that the citizens of Zor didn't want Lot living there because as the sole surviving family, they may have been seen as suspicious. Whatever the reason, Lot decides to take his daughters up into the refuge of the mountains to become cave dwellers. Their former life of riches and luxury was over. Worse still, Lot's decision now to move to such a remote location also had unexpected consequences. Indeed, as the eldest sister explains, our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come into us. Considering that they had just come from Zor, which was still inhabited, her words are rather surprising. Were the men of Zor unavailable? If indeed the people there saw Lot's family as a bad omen, then their men may not have been willing to marry them. While we can only speculate, Lot's daughters conclude that their isolated existence will make finding husbands next to impossible. And so, they resort to a truly abominable act. Come, says the firstborn, let's make our father drink wine and we'll lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. For two consecutive nights, they get their father so drunk that he doesn't even realize what's transpired. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. To the elder sister was born Moab, a name literally meaning from father. His descendants were known as the Moabites. And to the younger was born Ben-Ami, meaning son of my kin, who became the father of the Ammonites. It is highly ironic that Lot had earlier offered up his two daughters to the Sodomite mob, but in the end, he himself is hoodwinked into an illicit union with them. Truly, the women's judgment concerning how to resolve a difficult situation is as unacceptable as their father's is. And while the Bible never openly condemns the incident, the fact that the women knew their father would never willingly consent to such an act shows that it was unnatural. And even though Lot's poor life choices led him to this tragic point, God still preserved his life, primarily because God remembered Abraham, but also because in God's eyes, Lot was righteous, and God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. You know, this legacy of Lot is truly tragic. And as I mentioned in the segment, while the Bible doesn't openly condemn this act by Lot's daughters, 
it really doesn't have to, because the very fact that Lot wouldn't have willingly consented to it shows that it was indeed wrong. But instead of prayer or the investigation of facts, Lot's daughters decided to go the way of the Sodomites. And even though the, these, this episode does predate the Mosaic Law, which strictly forbids incest, it does appear that there was some sort of a proto-law. Because even by Cain and Abel's time, God had standards for sacrifices, which you can read about in Genesis chapter 4. And Noah was instructed to distinguish between clean and unclean animals in Genesis 7. And also, the well-known laws of Hammurabi were contemporary with this time period and forbade these kinds of unions. So as you can see, the origin of the Moabites and Ammonites wasn't pretty. And they also became very, very terrible enemies of Israel. Yeah, they did. And we, we hear about this and continue to hear about it uh, over the course of time. Uh, very, very interesting. Now, I've put together for you sermons, five sermons on video and then a bunch on uh, audio. And it's on a DVD you can get a hold of, and it's called The Return. And I want to encourage you that uh, I put these sermons on specifically for you, and they're important. And I would like to say that this is the time, the Revelation chapter 19 and Matthew 24 that we're talking about. We're living in times like this. So it's very, very interesting. And I encourage you to get a hold of your copy. The suggested price is $30 or more. And that's just a suggestion. But uh, may God use that to speak to you. Corey? All right. Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, we hear about the reign of Ahaziah and then his evil mother, Athaliah. Now, Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and so Ahaziah was the grandson of them. So Athaliah had married into the house of David, into the into the line of kings. Uh, and we're going to talk about that whole thing after. But first, I want to take a look at something that Athaliah's parents are quite famously known for, uh, the the uh, issue with Naboth and his vineyard. Take a look. The city of Jezreel belonged to northern Israel and seems to have been a very important place during the Omri dynasty, the kings of Israel descendant from King Omri. Omri's family history with Jezreel begins in the Bible with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel murdering a man for his vineyard. Naboth's vineyard is said to have been next to their palace in Jezreel. It was his family's land. Later in their history, Ahab and Jezebel's son becomes king and is fighting a war in Ramoth-Gilead. When he's injured, he comes back to Jezreel, but a usurper was on his tail. Jehu, a commander in the Israelite military, had come to take the throne. When the king rode out to meet him, Jehu killed him with an arrow and had his body dumped in Naboth's vineyard as a symbol of divine justice for Ahab and Jezebel's earlier evil. Jehu then entered the city where he was confronted by Jezebel, and he had her thrown down from an upper window and murdered. This bloody history implies Jezreel's importance as a military outpost. There's a royal structure there, it was used as a home base in times of war, and was surrounded by lush cultivated land that could grow food and wine to supply an army. Archaeological work has confirmed that Jezreel was a strongly fortified city with a large rectangular city wall, complete with a tower on each corner and a deep artificial moat. Its history also leaves us hints to the location of Naboth's vineyard. Traveling from the battlefront, Jehu would have approached from the east and met Joram in Naboth's vineyard. During surveys and excavations of this area, archaeologists uncovered a large ancient winery to the east of Jezreel. Dug right into the bedrock that ensured its survival, it was a treading floor and two carved vats to hold the freshly squeezed wine. 
Wineries like this could have been in use for hundreds and thousands of years as long as there was someone cultivating vineyards. These were permanent, cut right into the earth. And while the structures that would have surrounded this installation have long since deteriorated, it can't be coincidence that right outside the city of Jezreel, to the east, is evidence of a large ancient winery and vineyard exactly where the Bible said one was. All right, so I think what we see here with Ahaziah and the Bible here in Chronicles specifically lets us know that Athaliah was encouraging him in wickedness against God. And and then, of course, once Ahaziah dies, we see Athaliah launch on this anti-David coup, this takeover of the royal house of David. And she murders uh, descendants of her son and, and anyone who's a descendant of David. And what I think this reveals here is this this um, uh, rivalry between the house of Omri in northern Israel and the house of David in southern Judah and you know the house of Omri uh, would Omri was her grandfather and he established a dynasty a very strong dynasty in northern Israel but because Omri and then Ahab and Jezebel failed to follow God they had a really interesting opportunity Ahab specifically if he had repented and pointed the nation of Israel to the worship of God instead of to the worship of Baal, we would be reading an entirely different history because God did accept his repentance once. So if he had accepted it once, he would have accepted it wholesale, but that that's just not what happened. Ahab didn't repent and turn the country towards God. But we see, you know, even in Assyrian records, when they're referring to Northern Israel, they say the house of Omri, just as when they're referring to Judah, they say the house of David. Ironically, even to Jehu, who was the king who destroyed the dynasty of Omri, he killed Ahab and Jezebel and all of their sons. Omri in the Assyrian records, specifically, I think it's in the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser, he's listed as being a son of Omri, of the house of Omri, rather than being of his own dynasty. So this was a big rivalry that was going on. So Athaliah, this motivation here, this anti-David, anti-God coming from this competition between northern Israel and southern Judah. Her dynasty had just ended in northern Israel. It was her, her, all of her relatives had been murdered by Jehu, right? And so now she's probably thinking to herself, okay, now if, if my dynasty can't live, neither can David's. And she tries her best to wipe it out. So we see this very brutal end to um, the rivalry between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now, of course, she doesn't succeed because a descendant of David does survive, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> Excellent, Corey. Very good. Jan? Yes. They came to seek the Lord. Um, in Second Chronicles 20, some things stood out to me here. Um, you know, we learn, Jehoshaphat is learning that they're going to be invaded. Somebody comes to him and says, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they say, it's they're coming, they're in En Gedi, which is about 50 miles from Jerusalem. So then the very next verse, it says, and Jehoshaphat feared, no wonder. But what did he do? Did he go hide in the mountains? Did he go? No, it says, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Jehoshaphat had learned to rely on God and had taught his people the same. So a public prayer was called because we learn that next. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. 
And from all the seas of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. Then at verse 18 and 19, at the end, a meeting that was called to deal with a serious crisis turned into a praise and worship service. Listen to this. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with voices loud and high. They had a worship service rod because they knew they had sought after God. They were fearful, but God had answered. So what's our takeaway for this? As followers and seekers of God, when we feel overwhelmed, when you feel overwhelmed, when I feel overwhelmed, come to God. Seek God. When you have a decision to make, when I have a decision to make, come to God. Let's go to God. He has the answer. It might not be the answer we think he's going to have, but he has the answer because he knows the future. Come to God. And when we come to God, when we feel overwhelmed, when we have a decision to make, let's understand that God is pleased when we have faith in God. When we come to God, we need to recognize that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. And so when we take our fear, when we take our overwhelmedness, when we take our problems and our indecisions to him, we need to come to him as God. We need to come to him as our Lord. We need to come to him as our father, the one who holds the world and the plan in his hands, the one who is faithful and steadfast, whose mercies and compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of our God. We need to give God the glory and the honor and the praise because his hand is always moving and it may not feel like it sometimes. We may not see it sometimes, but I can tell you, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's hand is always moving. I want to remind you that BD Family and Friends is available 24-7 live stream on the Roku channel, and uh, it has all of our programs on it. It's there for you, and we want to tell you about that. Today, we need to pray. Lord, the desperate cry, we cry out to you today. Father, forgive us. Our fathers, forgive us. Our mothers, forgive us from our past. We come back to you, and Lord, treat us with your great mercy. Forgive us of our sins, in Jesus' name, amen.